0: Great to have everyone at church tonight. Um, We've been going through the book of Ruth, and uh, we're halfway, and I just want to quickly recap on Ruth, uh, the story. Now, Ruth is a story. It's a little story in the Old Testament, only four chapters. Um, If you've never read it, you could probably just read it in the next five minutes while I'm doing this anyway. Um, But Ruth chapter one is all about hopelessness. You know, um, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, and, and chapter one's about her, her husband and her two sons, they, they move to a neighboring country because they have no food. They're in famine. But while they move there, once they move there, the husband dies. The two sons marry, but then after 10 years, they die. And then so Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. But what that means is there's no work, there's no food, there's no future, because they didn't have any kids. And the chapter ends, chapter one ends with Naomi releasing both the daughters-in-law, but one of the daughters is like, no, no, I'm going to come with you, and that's Ruth. And so Ruth and Naomi head back to Bethlehem um, in search of food and work. Last week, chapter two was about God's favor. We see that Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem, and from the beginning, we see that God is looking after them. God is looking after their well-being and they and 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 God does that directly, and he also does it indirectly through a guy called Boaz. Boaz is a guardian redeemer of Naomi's family, which means that he has the duty to look out for Naomi's family when they are in need. and he does this by looking after ruth he he gives her protection, he gives her provision, gives her enough food to gather for her and her mother-in- law Naomi. and we see that at the end of chapter two. Life has somewhat settled down for Naomi and Ruth. Ruth has, you know, a basic means to gather food. And so they are somewhat settled. Um, Their immediate needs are taken care of. Uh, Chapter three um, that we're in today begins with the introduction of another big problem that Naomi and Ruth. Uh, have in in their lives, and it was the fact that Ruth was not married. Her husband had obviously died, uh, but she was not married, and she had no children. Now, in our day and age, you get married, you don't have kids. You know, we just call that lifestyle choice, or we call that you know, being smart or wise or whatever, whatever you know, whichever side of the fence you want to sit on. Uh, but back in the day, this is a big deal, a big deal because because. You didn't have a future. Your, your family name didn't have a future. And, and this was a really big deal. A um, very shameful thing in, in, in that culture. So, Naomi comes up with a plan. And so, we're going to go through chapter 3, and we'll just break down the story as we go. Now, remember, it's a story. Okay? Just, just like, I don't know, I was trying to think of the last storybook that I read. Spot. You know, spot goes to the circus. That's what I read two days ago. So, you know, it's a story. So you've got to hear it as a story, okay? Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, uh, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be uh, winnowing barley on the threshing floor, wash, put on perfume, And get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But do not let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, let me quickly define a few terms in there because we're not farmers okay winnowing barley okay and the threshing floor is when they take the barley off the stalk obviously the grain is still on the plant and so the winnowing element on 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 the threshing floor is when they're beating the stalks to get the grain off to get the barley off okay so you harvest it you take it in from the, the the garden uh, into the, the barn or the factory, wherever, and then they winnow and they, they, they on the threshing floor. So that's what Boaz is doing. Now, if you think about this plan, it's pretty crazy. It's like, dude, go like get yourself pretty, right? Go wait till Boaz has eaten and he's had a few drinks, okay? And then when he falls asleep, right? Go lie down at his feet, uncover his, his feet, and just lie there. And then he will tell you what to do. Now, I'm just saying, this is, we are going to talk a little bit about dating tonight. Okay? Don't take this literally. Okay? For you single people, please do not take this literally. Do not break into, you know, someone's house and find where they're sleeping and uncover their feet and put your head there and just wait. Okay? Because the police will get called. Okay? That will not work for you. Okay? But the plan was this, the plan that, that, that Naomi had in mind wasn't just, you know, go and be noticed. It was this idea that Boaz was the guardian redeemer. He had this role as the guardian redeemer, and there was an obligation that as the guardian redeemer of the family, that he will recognize, oh, I need to help. And I will take on the responsibility and not just help the family, but then take Ruth as his wife. But you got to understand, this was not a given. This wasn't automatic. It was a choice that Boaz had to make, and really, the result could go either way. She could be like Boaz, "I'm here," and and he could reject her, or he could embrace her. But you just don't know. Okay, so let's keep going in the story. Uh, chapter uh, verse seven. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, that's a good term, right? I think the the what would you call that term in modern day? Yeah, that's right. Thank you. From the pregnant lady who can't drink at the moment. Um, Was in good spirits. He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Oh, I love this verse. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. One of the other things you don't, you need to understand about this story is this, it's dark, okay? It's dark. We're not talking about, you know, lights, you know, you you sort of dim the lights and, you know, you you don't have a nightlight. We're talking about pre-electricity days. So when Boaz wakes up, and there is something at his feet, of course he's going to be startled. I don't know about you, but I've had that experience. I woke up in the middle of the night, early morning, early morning, and I wake up, and right in my face, 30 centimeters away from my face, one of my kids just looking at me. And I was so scared. I nearly punched the kid in the face. Luckily I didn't. It was... It's startling, to say the least. And that's what Boaz does. Who are you? And Ruth goes, it's me, Ruth. It's Ruth. It's, it's Ruthie. You know, it's... Now, see, see, what's interesting is, how would Boaz even know who Ruth was? Well, he had noticed her, and we see that in chapter 2. He had already favored her. He already knows who she was. Now, Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, don't take this in a weird way, okay? It means in that day, it's a pledge of marriage, okay? That's the symbol. That's, that's, it's like, please marry me. Back in the day, it was said, please spread the corner of your garment over me. That's, that's what it meant. Hey, you want to get married, Okay? Now, Ruth really puts herself out there. You know, yes, she's obedient to her mother in law. She really puts herself out there, right? Because how does she know how Boaz is going to respond? She doesn't, right? And she's just like laying there in pitch dark. Hello, it's me, Ruthie. Do you want to get married? You know, it's like, ooh, this is weird. You know, like any girl that sort of does that, you know, just call the police. Ruth, and, and, and Ruth doesn't just say, do you want to get married? She kind of goes, you are our guardian redeemer. It's like, you are obliged, you know, to marry me. But She just sits there. But we see Boaz's response in verse 10 to 13. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than what? Uh, then, Then that which you showed earlier, you have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another one who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, play some Jenga, and then in the morning... If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. See, Boaz had every right to reject Ruth. That that was his choice. And as much as he was guardian redeemer, see, the interesting thing, he knew he was guardian redeemer, but he also knew he wasn't the closest guardian redeemer. He wasn't on the top of the list. So he could have easily said, no, 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 Ruthie, go and find that guy. Go, go annoy him but his response his response is to receive ruth you know he could have easily taken advantage of ruth he could have raped her he could have publicly shamed her but he embraces her recognizes her courage he recognizes that she didn't just look for the youngest hottest biggest muscle of the town but kept in consideration the family line to which would be kept alive through the guardian redeemer. That's Boaz's response. and That's very consistent with who we know Boaz to be as the noble man. But we see that the other issue is that he isn't the closest in line. Someone else actually has first dibs. And Boaz does what I think is a very honorable thing, and he tells the truth. He tells the truth. You know what? He easily, he could have been like, yeah, let, this, this works for me. Let's go. Let's get married. But he does the honorable thing and lets Ruth know the truth. And then he tells Ruth to stay the night instead of sending her home in the middle of the night. And then when he sends her home, he continues to bless her. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it uh, six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Just the blessing and favor that Boaz continued to pour upon Ruth. Ruth returns home is waiting. Ruth tells the story of what happened. Verse 18, Naomi says, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And that's the end of chapter 3. And you know, like, there's four chapters in Ruth. There's four, you know, um, weeks of this series. I could easily finish there. And that's like K K-drama. That's like, that's cliffhanger, right? Like, you've got to wait till next week to see what Boaz does. How's it going to go? You know what, but I can't deal with that, so I'm just going to keep going. And we're going we're to go halfway to, to, to Ruth 4, okay? All right, I'm going to read 12 verses, okay? Keep up. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her, to our relative, Eli Melech, who was Naomi's husband, past husband. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, and I will. I will. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property at this the guardian redeemer said then i cannot redeem it because i might endanger my own estate you redeem it yourself i cannot do it verse 7 now in earlier times in israel for the redemption and transfer of property to be, become final one party would take off his sandal and gave it to the other this was the method of legalizing transactions in israel so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Eli Melech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's wife, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing of Ephraim and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring, the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Peres, whom Tamor bore to Judah. Okay? Now, you just got to just gotta read that story. So Boaz finds this other redeemer, guy who's really the first in line. He goes, hey, come here, sit down. Naomi's husband, Naomi's selling that piece of land because she's in trouble. And someone needs to buy it. And you're next in line. You should buy it. You should redeem it. Right? Now, Boaz, you've got to think, right? Boaz has accepted Ruth. Okay? Now, you've got to think this. Now, add some romance to this, right? Now, Boaz is really putting himself out there. Right? He's like, hey, if you, it's like he's saying something, but he doesn't really mean it. You know, he wants, he he doesn't actually want this guy to redeem, you know, Naomi's land, because at the end of the day, he wants it. Well, not he, he doesn't even care about the land. He he wants Ruth. And so he goes, hey, uh Naomi is needing to sell her land because obviously she has no money. You're next in line. You've got first choice. You should buy it. And the guy goes, I will redeem it. Now, if I was Boaz, I'd be like, dang. It's a good thing for Naomi and Ruth, but you know, dang. But then he goes on, he goes. You also, not only do you get the land, but, but you get one of the daughters-in-law, Ruth the Moabite. Now, why is this a big issue, right? Why is it a big issue that, that another, you know, he, he would have inherited another woman? The, the issue isn't just the fact that he inherits another wife. He inherits a foreign wife, a wife from a foreign country that they're not on good terms. And this is going to make it very complicated and actually, in one sense, kind of could be shameful for that guardian redeemer because he's like, oh, man, like, I, yeah, I, I helped buy back the land, but now I got a foreign wife? I got a, I got a wife from Moab? And at that point, the, the guy's like, oh, I, I can't do this. It, it, it's going to get in the way of, of what I have. And so that guardian redeemer says, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Boaz, you do it. You redeem them. And Boaz's inside is like, woo-hoo you know that's what he wanted to get right so then in front of the people and he does this all legit he doesn't go you know like i watched a bit of the godfather last night and i was like oh man it's like you know he, he could have easily done one of those dodgy you know deals around the back and you know just met him quietly and went look mate i know that you're next in line but you know he's a he's a white envelope just be on your way you know like you know he, he but he went and he did it above reproach he did it in front of the elders of the town and all legit you know, but in, in 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 an interesting way, he puts himself out there because he didn't know what the result was going to be either. Like this guy, this other guy could have gone, yeah, I'll take it, I'll take Ruth too, and then he's he's like, oh, okay, and that's it. It's quite similar to the way that Ruth, she just sort of put herself out there as well and had to let it be. So the story ends. It's funny, Ruth is not even there, but the story ends with Boaz proclaiming that Ruth is now his wife, right? Now, for Boaz, this this is a big deal. Like, not only did it cost him financially because he had to buy the land, right? It also cost him reputation because he's now taking in a foreign wife. But Boaz was so committed to Ruth, you could even say that because he loved Ruth, he did whatever it took for him to redeem her from the hopeless situation that she was in. Now, we look at this story and we go, wow, that's a great story. You know, chapter one was all about hopelessness. You know, Ruth was stuffed. She, she, she had no food. She, she had no kids. You know, she had no future. You know, just really bad situation. And then chapter 2, they come back to, to Bethlehem. And then suddenly there's all this favor on her life. And she's suddenly got this job. And suddenly she's got food. And, and everything's going great. And then chapter 3 just continues to go. Just continues to go. And the, the favor of now, it's not that she, she's just some poor beggar. But she's now a wife. She's now a wife of, of a, a very wealthy uh, Israelite. Now, it's not just, I need to beg for the food, but she probably never had to work a day after. That's just what I think. If we look at the story in a whole, the question that I want us to look at tonight is this, what do we do when we are found in hopeless situations? And I was wrestling with this, and I was like, man, we could go down to like, you know, how to make love work, and you know, blah, 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 you know, and and I'll touch on that right at the end, just as as a cameo, but but it's this question of what do you do when you get into desperate situations? You know, this idea of being in trouble, being in places of hopelessness. And I don't know if you've ever been in that space. You know, we, we started from the beginning. We, and, and 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 I confess to you that, you know what, some, some of us, including myself, we haven't ever been in, in a place of the deep, deep hopelessness. But some of you have. Some of you are there right now and and. Most likely, some of you will go through that later in your life. So what do you do when you're in that hopeless place? Well, for the most of us, our immediate response is to do something. You know, they say, right, like when you're in that space, you know, um, fight or flight, right, you either, you either fight through it or you just run away. Or well, some people freeze as well. But well, what do you do? But a lot of us, we, our immediate response is when we're in time of hopelessness is we, we do something. We try to do something. We, we, we try to make something happen. We, we hustle. And you know what? Sometimes what we do is we try to force the situation. Sometimes we do things that, that, that are dodgy or shady or in the dark just because we're that desperate. But when we look at the hopeless story of Ruth, what we see is that when we are with God, when we are under the presence of God, under His favor, what we need to learn to do is to not do anything or to not force anything, but is actually to learn to wait under God. Last week, we talked about coincidences, that if coincidences continue to happen over and over again, maybe that's not coincidence. But actually, that's just the way that God's working. See, that's God's favor. And when we we look at this week's story, we don't don't just see God looking after Naomi and Ruth's physical and immediate needs, but their future needs as well. The future family line. Now, next week is really exciting. Next week is the big connection between Ruth and Christmas. And it's all going to be about the family line. Ruth, she puts herself out there in front of Boaz. Could have gone either way. If Boaz was a, was, a, was a nasty person, could have gone anyway. Could have bounced anywhere. But she just put herself out there. Boaz, same thing, right? Puts himself out there before the other guardian redeemer. You know, he, he doesn't know how they're going to respond. Could have gone anyway. And yet, in both situations, God provides the best outcome. Ruth puts herself out there, Boaz embraces her. Boaz puts himself, himself out there and he finds himself in a place where he can redeem Ruth. What we learn is that when we are under the wings of God, even in our lowest and most hopeless situation, when we learn to trust him, when we learn to wait upon God to move rather than ourselves, then God will take care of us. God will take care of us. God's favor will be upon us. Why? Because he loves us. And I think this is the struggle that many of us us have when going through times of, of hardship and darkness is we're too quick to try to find a solution or we're too quick to try to work out something on our own rather than sitting and waiting underneath the presence of God, allowing God to do something. We are too quick to try to force something when it might actually not be in the plans of God. What we need to learn to do is we need to learn to be okay just to sit under God, even if it's awkward, even if it's uncomfortable, and to trust God that God has your life and your situation in His hands. Why do we trust God? Because He loves you. He loves you. There is no one in this world, that loves you. And I'm not just saying you as all humanity or you as the church. I'm talking about you tonight. There's no one in this world that loves you more than God. Your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, whoever, does not even come close to the way that God, our heavenly Father, loves you. I look at my youngest son who just turned one And I know that he is so blessed. He is so blessed because he is so loved by so many of our uncles and aunties at church. You know, like really that idea that it takes a village to to raise a child, 100%. And, and and you know, all my kids, but just my youngest, you know, so many of you love him and you like touching him and you like, you you know, you buy things. Some people just buy things for him and, you know, there's no reason. It's like they just want to hang out because he's cute. But do you know what? That love and concern that any of you have, even if we were to combine all of that together, compared to the way that I love him, does not even come close. Did any of you wake up at 5.30 this morning to hang out with him because he wanted to play? No, I did. And will I have to do it again tomorrow morning? Maybe. There's a difference, a big difference. The reason why, the reason why we need to learn to trust God, is because He really has the best intentions for you. And what the best thing about God is, it's got nothing to do with your past. It's got nothing to do with you know how you're behaving now, and it's got nothing to do with what kind of a person you end up being. He knows all of that, and yet he loves you. It's not conditional. His love is not conditional to your behavior. His love is greater than even that. That's how much he loves you. The love was so great that in your greatest time of need, when you were deep in your sin, dying spiritually dead spiritually god sent his one and only son jesus to be the guardian redeemer of your life to redeem your life and to save you from your sin now i love you as your pastor but there is no way i'll buy your meal you know like I'll bail you out of jail I'll I was going to say I'll go to the gym with you I'll walk you to your gym <laughs> you know but would I ever give up any of my kids for you I'm i don't take this personally but I wouldn't not even close and yet god god Because of his love for you, each and every one of you, knowing who you are, knowing how deeply entrenched you are in your sin and your addiction and all the bad choices that you make and will continue to make, he can overlook all of that. He can overlook all of that because of his love for you. In the same way that Boaz could overlook the fact that, that Ruth was a Moabite widow. And you know what? The other thing is, and, and, and I only just thought of this the, like just before, but Ruth couldn't have a kid for ten years. So what Boaz could be receiving as a wife was a wife that might not be able to give birth to another child. But Boaz was—he was able to look beyond the current situation. He was look beyond what happened in the past, and his love for her was enough for him to put himself out there and to redeem her. And in the same way, in the same way, that's how God loves us. You know, I look at my own life, and I I always ask this question, God, why do you love me? Why did you save me? Why did you send your son Jesus to die for me? Right? We're just around Christmas. That's why we're celebrating, right? The birth of Jesus. Why would he send Jesus? And it's it's because I love you. And I'm like, but I know me. I don't, like, I wouldn't do that for me. But that's when I realized that, man, God's love for us is even more than the love we have for ourselves. And we love ourselves a lot, most of us anyway. We have such a high regard for ourselves. But God's love is even greater than that. Are you in a time of trouble? Are you going through a time of hardship? The answer is not go and do something as much as that's what the world teaches us to do. The answer is to trust God. The answer is to put your faith in Him, to wait upon Him, to trust Him because He will take care of you because He loves you. Trust that God loves you so much that He would... Uh, Have whatever, he will do whatever it takes for you to be favored in your life. I promise you, you trying to force some kind of life situation or some kind of, you know, change in your life compared to sitting and waiting for the Lord. I'm pretty sure the outcome would be better if you had your life in God's hands, not your own. I want to finish with um, a funny quote that that uh, that I read, and we, you know, because let's bring it back to you know dating. Okay, for all the married people, like you can just sort of smile and giggle and whatnot because you don't have to deal with this anymore. But you know, one of the things in life is is in is singleness. You know, like one of the hardest things in life when you're on that side of the equation is like, man, am I ever gonna get married? You know, am I ever gonna find the one? And my and you know, like all right, I was gonna crack a very insensitive joke, so I won't. Okay? See? Self-control, your past is getting better. But if you want to know what that is coming through you now, that's really funny. In my head, I'm laughing by myself. You know, it, it's hard, and, and, and I've met so many people that that you know this this idea of singleness and like the desire to, to find the one. You know, like, because they're going to complete me. You know, like, you had me at hello. You know, like, you know, that kind of a person, you know, like, love me. You know, like, I don't even remember what that line is anymore from Grace and But, you know, like, and 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 people, they, they're they so obsessed about this. So what they do is they, they just go and find anyone. And what they're doing is they're trying to force a situation. They do this in two ways. Either one, they just go and find anyone that will take them. Right? Anyone, take me. I'm so desperate. Just take me. Or well, the other one is they start changing who they are, what they believe, what their values are, so that they can become more attractive to other people and then be taken. And in, in both situations, it's they're trying to force life to change in what they consider a hopeless situation. And I've seen this over and over and over again. Now, single people, I'm not saying this because I don't want you to get married or because I'm making light of the situation that you're single, but can I tell you, it is better to struggle with that singleness than to compromise in who you marry. Mel and I, one of the things that we're doing at the moment, part of what we do is we're helping couples deal with marital issues. And can I tell you, the other side of just marrying someone, like trying to force it, trying to force not being lonely anymore, it catches up. It's so sad, you know. We're, we're we're dealing with some 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 couples that have been married for, you know, we're not talking like a few years. We're talking like a you know a decade, and you hear comments like, "Yeah, you know what I." I only married you because it was the right thing to do at the time. I was like, "Man, why did you have two kids then?" You know, it was the right thing to do, and 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 you're like, "Oh my God, you just forced something to happen when that when that wasn't meant to be." Single people, please hear me. There is nothing worse than trying to force your way into marriage. Because it will come back to bite you. But even if that is your desire, then just like Ruth, just like Boaz, put yourself out there in the presence of God and let God deal with it. Here's the quote. This is not just for girls, but boys too. To all the girls who are in a hurry to have a boyfriend or get married, a piece of biblical advice, Ruth patiently waited for her mate Boaz. While you are waiting for your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke ass, poor ass, lying ass, cheating ass, dumb ass, Dumb ass, dumb and dumber ass. Drunk ass. Cheap ass. Locked up ass. Good for nothing ass. Lazy ass. And especially his third cousin. Beating your ass. Wait on your Boaz and make sure he respects you. You know what's sad, right? That's funny, right? When I, I, I saw this years ago. I've just been waiting to preach on Ruth just to do this, right? I kid you not, but. There's so much truth in this. I've seen so many people compromise, force their situation. Right? I kid you not. Don't force. Don't try to force yourself out of hopelessness. Trust God because he really has the best intentions for you. said, It's not just about single people, but anybody, everybody. In hopeless situation, even though our immediate desire is to push forward, to force something to happen, trust God first. Trust Him first because He has the best for you. He has the best for you. And you might not know that. You might not agree with that, but it is the best for you. I pray that you will make that choice to not compromise but to trust God because He loves you. Let's pray.